Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. Yeah, I made the trip over to yours. That's why we're in the echoey room. It's yes. slightly more echoey. Oh, is it more echoey? Yeah. It's my um, high arch ceilings. <laughs> bouncing off my gigantic <laughs> golden four-poster bed. Your vaulted ceilings. It is hard to concentrate with how big the stained glass window is. <laughs> well, look, I felt that there was no other proper decoration for this room. So, you know... <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, tra- I travelled the, the amazing distance, so it takes about 20 minutes. <laughs> Smelt a lot of weed. There's a lot of weed on the streets at the moment. Yeah. Like, there always is around Central, where I work. And yeah. There's like, like, it, that, got, that, that kind of reached its apex about, I say six months ago, I mean two years hmm. plus six months ago, when there was a guy just on Oxford Circus, like uh, one of the like uh, black literature stalls hmm. that's on there, just like straight up smoking weed. Hmm. Like, so there's like a... Um, the one of the the pub in the village that's the one that's really aimed at kiddies, mm. where it's like if we lived in a more refined, cultured time, it would have a beer garden with a slide in it. <laughs> um, but in reality, what they get now is they get a bit. You're of talking concrete. about 1994. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas now they just get um, a, a lot of concrete path for them to draw on with chalk. But there were loads of people, loads of parents with kids smoking weed out there. Really, it's like. Like, yeah, of course, do it, it's fine, I don't care. <laughs> well, um, but it can't be legalised. I mean, just like the last... the last, Like, like it'll the be last the Tories drink. that'll legalise it. Yeah, like in a like kind of... I said of it before, like, there's Nick... no way... Well, the thing is, I don't think they're as anti-drugs as the Labour Party. Yeah, like a kind of Nixon goes to China, only Nixon could go to China moment. Like, no, I think they're more liberal on drugs. I think most... No, I think... It, but I think that the, I think, the, I the mechanics of it means that they're the only yeah. people who could... You don't like that thing... Like, I, don't think anyone's ever offered drugs to wedge streeting. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever had a Big Mac? <laughs> Pretty addicting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was a nice. No one wears the mask on the tube. That's a... Oh, you got the tube over? Yeah, yeah, I got the tube instead of the bus because it's like, okay, rolling the dice. Okay. Tube, a lot more people than a bus. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, there's no way they clean it as much as they say they do. So, you know, going in all that recycled air. But I'm only on it for like four your, minutes. Your COVID calculations. Yeah. Only on it for four minutes wearing a mask. Whereas on a bus, I've been stuck in traffic for 40 odd minutes. Rona arithmetic. So, yeah, I thought, but the tube, that's going to be safer. Just get on, I'm the only one wearing a mask. And I'm like, and they keep on putting the um, the announcement. You can tell, it's like, I've been on buses where there's like one guy not wearing a mask and the bus driver is really pressing the button over and over and over again. Because that's all they can do to try and guilt them into doing it. And they're never going to do it. But yeah, so I did that. But what about you? What have you been up to this week apart from. I don't know. I'm like back to work now and yeah. like properly, and yeah. it's it's just no Rona arithmetic for you because you just have to. Well, get no, the tube you and go into an to... office. <laughs> it's Rona resilience for me. <laughs> no, you just notice the the numbers are back up on the tube. Everything's kind of back to normal. What are the pubs to... like? Um, odd. Obviously, there's spillover into the. Um, into the outside, mm-hmm. right? That they've taken that bit of pavement, as we mentioned last week, mm-hmm. they've taken those bits of pavement and they're not giving them back. Um, you can get to the bar more easily on a Friday night, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, on other days, it looks packed. Mm-hmm. Like, not quite as, like, unbelievably, like, can't even get to the front door busy as, like, it used to be. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an odd one. Mm. I can't. I don't think anyone can really work out like what they're supposed to be doing anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure what the because like because like, technically 
that this should be it. Well, the thing is, like, there got... should be nothing else to 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 do. If you I've know? seen my my first experience of the rules being different in different places, because as soon as you give them fuzziness, it's just going to, you know, um, it's just a mess. Um, the pubs in the village are just walking. It's fine. It's like nothing ever happened. Yeah. Um, but there's another pub near me. Um, on Saturday, they had security staff on the door, like huh. um, you know, to scan this. Do oh, to scan like, like vaccine passports or well, whatever. pretty pretty much doing all the stuff that was like at the height of Rona, yeah. all the Rona restrictions that you had to do. But there was like security guards doing it. There's there's still a bunch of places in town where um, it, it's mainly the smaller places in Soho. But they're still doing the lunchtime thing where they've um, opened the front windows and mm. like are just doing takeaway service. Like there's no sitting in. Yeah, we haven't got many months of that, that left. In no. a couple of weeks. Um, I wonder about you know that. I mean, cases are like, cases are at like forty three thousand. It's yeah. like the midpoint of the worst. Yeah. It's ever been, and way more than it was during the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that. You know that. I've only been there like once or twice. It's a nightclub in Soho. That's like all I remember is it's really crammed, and there's lots of pictures of the Pope on the wall and Italian footballers. Oh, it's like it's like like, I remember that it's like a um, it's a members only place, isn't it? Yeah, and it's literally like an an old basement. Yeah, that happens to have a bar in there with a fridge. Yeah, but it's not really used. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, I wonder what their restrictions are like. But um, probably not, like because there was never that busy anyway. I mean, I've not been out like. At night, because I'm an old man mm-hmm. now, you are, and I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. No. Um, but there's tons of people at the weekends on the tube, like going out, mm. but um, like dressed up to go out, and with a with a weird kind of abandon that suggests a fin de siècle, end of days kind of feel. Um, I'm glad we kept that up from lockdown. We've learned some kind of solidarity <laughs> with the forces of history and temporality. <laughs> so I did see. There was one thing before the main thing that I did want to talk about, mm-hmm. which did make me, like, not brain melt, but, like, staring in disbelief. Mm. So, I can't remember what day it was now, but, so we had Tory conference. Yes. And Tory conference being a sad, cringe-filled place, possibly only matched by Lib Dem conference. Um, Has there been a Lib Dem conference? Yeah, that happened, because they, um, <laughs> they um, genuinely, that's not like a... They smashed through the red wall. Or the blue wall. They smashed through a blue wall. Oh, no, you're right. I do remember yeah. it. Yeah. And it was very embarrassing. Um, Reheated the so stuff. The Tories did their party, their karaoke thing. And there was a story of Laura Koonsberg and Michael Gove having a rap battle. Ah. Uh, um, wow, and he's just, he's just out there, isn't he's he? He's just a party animal. He's just a party animal. Um, and so there was some, so some journo posted that. And then a load of people were like, that's fucking disgusting. If someone say, I haven't, you know, I saw it, I saw Laura Kunzberg and Michael Gove having a rap battle. Yeah, and rap battle Unambiguous. Looked at me. <laughs> they were having rap battle in the cupboard. Rap yeah. battle looked at me. Um, <laughs> Unambiguous yeah. that this happened. Yeah. And then a load of people were like, this is disgusting. She's supposed to have some, she's supposed to at least pretend to not be a Tory. <laughs> um, Sounds like some people are living in the old world still. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people were saying that. And then a load of blue ticks jump in to say, like, actually, this is right and good, yeah. actually. This is the way that it's supposed to be done. This is just, this is nice. This it's, is good. This is all correct. And, oh, and this was a story in the Scottish something? A Scottish paper, I think. Um, 
And then suddenly that story disappeared from the Scottish website mm-hmm. and the tweet disappeared. But all the defences from the blue tick stayed for a bit and then they started saying, well, it never happened. <laughs> and it obviously didn't happen. And then there was like footage of other BBC journalists singing this thing. and But it never happened. It's been memory hold. We literally got to watch it happen as it was memory hold and it never happened. And it just like, ah, oh. and then, you know, then there will be the ones who then start talking about fake news again. Well, I mean, that that has kind of entirely gone away, like talk of, of fake news. But there's also like it's there's a hair trigger sense that anything that happens has to have its defenders and its mm. um, advocates all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there is like you can talk about a principle being observed, but you don't have to observe any of the notions that come along with that Mm. so you can talk about well i'm a journalist so therefore i have to be unbiased this is what being unbiased means and then you just do something and it's like oh no uh, there's i'm not even going to address this and then like yesterday or the day before we saw more your title dictates your trustworthiness yeah you're the higher you are the more trustworthy you are without ever having Mm. to do anything to prove that Mm -hmm. um but yeah then like two days ago or a day ago time uh, um, more blue tick solidarity where Ben Judah decided of the back of a poorly translated article to smear Sally Rooney as an anti-Semite for a long thread and people like people who are ostensibly on the left, like Ellie Mayo Hagan saying, um, I know you're a good journalist and a good person. And it's like, he isn't. <laughs> He's just been. And then after she didn't, because of her not, because of BDS, not wanting to work with an Israeli. Yeah, so it's it's her new book, and she didn't want to let uh, an Israeli publisher translate the book into Hebrew. Well, this she didn't, say she didn't this... want to translate into Hebrew. Ah, she didn't, no, no, she she, she, no, no, she refused to let this particular uh, Israeli yeah. publisher translate the book and sell it. But this to and sell it, and this turned in Ben Judah and another uh, quite a few other journalists' minds into she is refusing to let her book be translated into Hebrew. Mm. Hebrew is the language of Israel and therefore of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. You see, that's the mm-hmm. that's the little jump there. Every time you make mm-hmm. that jump, therefore that's anti-Semitic. Yeah, and so he did his long thread smearing her, and then she well, made the, a statement the thing is, explaining the... that she was fine with it being translated. She was fine with her last book being translated into Hebrew, and she'd be fine if there was a way of translating into Hebrew that didn't breach BDS because of solidarity with the Palestinian people. Very brave of her. She will get shit about it now for a long time. Oh, that's it. That's that's yeah. it. This will um, this will continue with anything else. But then, but then Ben Judah's like, um, I, I keep my offer up to help her find a, um, an anti-Zionist um, left wing uh, a, a translator to do it, as if it's up to him. She needs to go to him. Mm. She doesn't have a Twitter account, so and he knows she doesn't have a Twitter account, so she he knows that she probably hasn't even yeah. seen this magnanimous message after like i've just spent an after like a, a day and a night smearing someone but why don't you come to me and i'll help you smearing That's someone disgusting. and also like you say it was a long thread very very quickly turned into ah yes the papist Irish, oh, yeah. and that's the papist get, Irish mud people. That's before who, we even get into the fe- who have anti-Semitism instilled in them <laughs> from before Vatican II, because that's all that they <laughs> apparently remember. They're just naturally anti-Semitic. Yeah. I'm surprised. Did it develop into Liverpool bashing? Did it develop into Glasgow like Glasgow bashing? The, the Celtic Immediately. brain. We know our brains are quite small, and there's only enough room in there for. Um, the love of alcohol, hitting our wives, 
and hating Jews. That's um, it's it's unfair. It's we didn't choose this, but that's just the life that we have. Um, I, it always jumps to that, and it never surprises me that it jumps to it. But it's really funny in a long thread extolling um, talking about anti-racism that they immediately jump to it. Yeah, it's yeah. Ugh. So yeah, that's you know this week in blue ticks loving each other and hating the Irish. So, for the main thing this week, uh, as with any long-running franchise, um, eventually you run out of new stories to tell, but mm. you've still got to kind of milk the IP um, yep. to try and slake the appetite of fans by going back to the well and doing an origin story. Yep. And uh, that's what we watched this week. We watched uh, Blair and Brown, The New Labour Revolution mm-hmm. on BBC Two. You say you watched it in a week, and you did watch it in a week. You watched it over a week. I, I watched, watched it in, in three days. I watched it in one sitting. Five episodes, an hour long. You watched it in five hours of real scintillating uh, telly. I believe it was uh, the series consult. One of the series consultants on it was John Rental. Well, yeah. <laughs> so of course. of course, it's also by I believe the same producers as that Thatcher, the Thatcher's Revolution one. Because every movement in British politics, mm. the most hidebound, slurry. Slow moving slurry of a political system you've ever seen. Every fucking new prime minister is a revolution. Apparently. When I think of revolution, I always think of um, marble ceilings and ermine robes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always that. I always jump straight to that. Um, yeah. Order of the Garter, the revolution. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've, I, I, unsurprisingly, for our lovely listeners, I have sat and watched a lot of telly in large, in like one sitting. I've, yeah. what, I've done like, obviously. F- Things like Sopranos in a sitting. I've done long, 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 long watches of anime. Yeah. And I usually come out feeling, like, satisfied. Mm. Good. I felt disgusting. I felt horrible. It was so horrible. And it made me really upset. (laughs) Well, Well, are you not a fan of the Lennon and McCartney of Labour politics? One wife beater and then the most talented songwriter of his generation who was only good after he left the most famous role he'd ever occupied. I don't like either of them. I don't. I couldn't name you a Beatles song. Figure out which one I'm talking about. I couldn't name you a Beatles song or a McCartney song. Oh, McCartney did a song at the end of Halo. No, he did it. And a song at the end of Destiny. I know okay. that one. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> was it like Song of the Spheres? I know that one. Yeah. I, no, I, I got into um, McCartney 2 last year and it's actually a really good album. It's, uh, sure, I assume his second I'm solo sure album. It's lovely. No, you're not. <laughs> you're judging it anyway. Yeah, it's fine. It's not the original Paul McCartney anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this was very much the um, the Blair and Brown Truth and Reconciliation project. This was like mm-hmm. everything was fine. We were all great. It was always great. Remember New Labour. Remember mm-hmm. how good you felt during mm-hmm. New Labour. It was so good, wasn't it? Do you remember how good you Maybe felt when you back. were in your early 20s? <laughs> that was all because of us. We gave that to you. We gave your first kiss and your first pint. That was us. <laughs> you like Top Loader? <laughs> there was a Top Loader song in there. Yeah, was there? I think it was a Top Loader song. It what do you sounds... mean a Top Loader song? It do you mean all... the Top Loader song? It might have been song. Top Loader. To be fair, all of... That was the Dancing in the Moonlight one, wasn't it? Top I, I don't know. That was that band. I don't know. That's a name that I know. <laughs> the fella with the curly hair. It feels like something something that would, would have won a Mercury Prize. I, I, and there's no they point... They all sound there's, the same right, to me. There is, right. There's literally... Okay. We could do a bit yeah. on Top Loader, making fun of it. But there is... It's one of the few songs there is literally no 
point in doing it. There's nothing else to milk out of mocking Top Loader. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Yes, you do. No, yes, I would, you do. I would recognise it. I you would, re- you would one hundred percent recognise it. But it's there's nothing more to take from no, it. I'm not just. You know, I'm stopping it. it right here. <laughs> just saying, it had a Britpop soundtrack. Yeah, of songs that I didn't know. Not as many as I thought it would, though. Yeah. Not as it did. They didn't lean real hard into like the Cool Britannia or any of the cultural no. moments. There was a couple of, of flashes where they showed like. Um, um, What's her name? Kate Moss in the Union Jack dress. Kate Moss in the Union Jack dress and then Tony Blair meeting like Noel Gallagher. Mm. But they only showed it in the opening flash. There was mm. none of, absolutely none no. of that. This was a very much like a strict political biography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Started in... Um, talking heads, no narration, just no. talking heads um, and all of the like key people mm-hmm. who like look, fu- generally look fucking terrible mm-hmm. but are all very smug about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes kind of chronologically, mm-hmm. five episodes going through all of it. We'll follow it, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, so episode one, you have, starting with the 1983 election. Oh yeah, they put fake CRT scan lines in it to make it look like a dull deli. Yeah. I, thought that, I thought that was quite good. I thought that was that was really cheap. Do you remember the yeah. years before flat screens? People with flat screens, who we hated, by the way. <laughs> um, so it starts with kind of... Uh, you know, the stuff about we were the kings of progressive politics, and then you have they started left bashing. I counted it within four minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that given the frame that they're putting on it, that does make sense because, yeah. like, you know, 1983, as we discussed last week, is the start of the eternal cycle of the new Labour, mm-hmm. of the Labour myth, frankly. Yeah, because they, they transpose it backwards as well as forwards. It's not just Starmer who is Kinnock, it's you know, uh, Hugh Gateschool or uh, whoever. Um, was the kind of pro- proto Kinnock Kinnock. Um, Neil Kinnock saying, like, oh, I saw the 1983 disaster coming, the Labour Party infuriated people, and just seeing that man again. He doesn't age. He hasn't aged as badly, maybe no. because he's always looked like shit. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's just like. It's got that Arn Anderson thing, but there's like a, a shitty Arn Anderson. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, historical revision not so much with the facts Mm. but definite big omission definitely like if they don't want to mention something they won't like scoot around it with a few notable exceptions they don't scoot around it they just don't mention it at all Mm -hmm. and you know kinnock talking about how we were just so out of touch we looked so shit Mm. we looked so bad and it's like then i saw blair and i thought hey here's a the hope for the future it's like bollocks here's a guy who tucks his shirt into his jeans do you remember fucking Neil Kinnock during the uh, probably the early parts of the of the New Labour project? Fucking hated Blair. I, fucking no, briefed against him all the time. Like did like talked him down 13. all the fucking time. Like no, 13. but like it going up through history and that. Like yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just there's a whole load of stuff about how basically how they just looked so bad, mm. you know. And introducing both Brown and Blair, Blair being the Kind of sassy. Uh, had a picture of privately, him with long hair and his shirt off. Privately educated gadabout son. <laughs> it's like it was when they talk about like his friends. There's like a picture of him all shirtless. It's like he had this friend who was a vicar who wore like a dog collar and smoked roll up cigarettes, and his other friend who was a Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> so you had this summer where he had some friends. Um, and like Brown with the, the traditional like, oh, his father was a preacher, so he was very religious. Mm. It's like very moral. 
And it's like they, they still lionise that like old high church Protestant background. Mm. I was surprised actually when it came up with May, with Theresa May, because like, what does that mean to anybody anymore? Nothing. Like that, that sort of implicit cultural understanding and trustworthiness of someone mm. who was raised in the C of E. Yeah. In the high C of E even. Like, I, I never understood that that remaining kind of cultural loyalty to that old patrician class. Mm. But they still do it, and they still did it with Brown this time. There was a lot of talking about, we had all these radical ideas, but it was a matter of style. You know, I had, whole, I had so many ideas, and oh, I just wanted to put, be able to put my ideas into practice, and so they had to have power. And it's like, they don't actually mention what any of those radical ideas Oh, no, they never talk about are. their ideas. They, um, they had fully the myth-building of the pair of them in this tiny little room yeah. With no with no windows, just being just sitting there, going into the office to be radical. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was some kind of like they don't really go deeply into um, Tony Blair's ideas because uh, he didn't have any. No, he was resolutely non. I mean, they do make out that he was completely non political through mm-hmm. uh, college and, and university. He actually stood as a conservative in a mock election at university, and his father was a full like conservative. Leo Blair was one of those rare people who went to the Second World War as a communist and came back as a Tory yeah. in Durham hmm. of all, in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was very much like a uh, like working-class kid. He was born in Govan, uh, Leo Blair, and, like, uh, was, like, became enamoured with that working-class boy done good thing that Thatcher would lionise and... Obviously, Blair would do so much, like rely on so much as a myth of how the working class should operate yeah. in ideal conditions. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's one hundred percent record. Like like the key to understanding Blair here, especially, is to recognise that there are like two main things that come out of this. One is that he fully absorbs that you have to let the working class not be the working class. That's mm. the ideal for them, for those people. Um, and the other th- like the other thing that you get out of it is that as far as it goes in i don't know marx's terms i guess that both of their projects were to not to basically not let class distinctions get too out of hand mm. that's it while maintaining the whole thing and you do that by maintaining a strong economy a strong capitalist economy where markets work as they're supposed to i.e. a socialism that only goes as far as how much can we service the bourgeoisie? Hmm. Like that's that's basically all he cared about. When you get past all the we were helping ordinary people thing, yeah. that's basically where as far as he goes. You have the um it's in the first episode, I think, where you start where you have Peter Mandelson turn up with his nonce mustache. Oh boy, yeah. It was so sleazy. He looks so sleazy. But um and his amazing idea for Kinnock of a red rose and then putting red roses everywhere. Which the thing like all I could think about it was like like, we joke about how they've got no idea it's the Labour right. Mm. But they are still doing that. And Kirktig did, did that as well. They did the thing of, like, um, Blair and Brown going off to America, being pushed on TV all the time, <laughs> which is the kind of bullshit that they, that, that you know, the, the Labour right and Kirktig pushed. And meaningless symbolism of a red rose, yeah. which they put everywhere. I didn't realise, like, how... It was literally like it was um Kinnock throwing roses at people from a balcony. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, the Labour Party <laughs> tossing roses like a character, like um, like flamenco dancers. 
It's just weird. I just, yeah, Amanda, I assumed it, there was I, more than just getting them on TV and throwing roses at people. But apparently that was all the No, that was had. because like everybody like everybody who has studied that period or who was alive hmm. in that period remembers the key moments, which is Michael Foot in a donkey jacket mm-hmm. before the, I mean, I guess, 1982, 1983 on Remembrance Sunday. Mm-hmm. Apparently that was a bad thing mm-hmm. because it was brought up again during the Corbin time. I thought yeah. it was a lovely throwback. Um and it, there's a, a, a thing from the 1983 election when it was just called, there's him coming out of, I guess it must have been Transport House, which mm. was their HQ then. And a journalist asks him, are you prepared for the election? And like Michael Foote does the standard thing of like, we're on the road to victory. Mm. Now, where's the car? Like he's out there. The, he looks, he's an old man, Michael mm. Foote, and he looks like a, an old academic. Yeah. Like, can't help how he looks, but like they do say about, they do mention about the the party's elderly image, mm. and somebody out there throwing roses suggests a which was you know as you said Mandelson's idea, and it does suggest a kind of like pivot to to imagery empty imagery as like the way out of it the kind of. The signalling it's giving to a specific class, it would have been, it would have exactly the same as if they'd given out free limoncello. I mean, it, that, that's the, that's the whole thing of like they start talking about the. You can even tell in the doc because you have Kinnock, like he moved from talking about, whenever he's talking about labour events before the nineteen eighty three, mm. it's like we were doing the working class a disservice yep. by not accurately winning power and not accurately representing their interests and all that, and then slowly as it goes through and as the 80s go through they switch from working class to ordinary people mm-hmm. we were doing ordinary people the people of britain a disservice mm-hmm. a subtle rhetorical thing that changes from a specific identifiable class with facets history identification you can mm-hmm. identify that within the structure to ordinary people something that means anything mm-hmm. it can mean anything mm-hmm. you can have an ordinary work like like an ordinary banker Mm-hmm. You can have an ordinary head CEO of a company. It, it it means nothing. And like it's to the extent that like Kinnock fucking knows. Mm. Kinnock fucking knows what he was doing. That bit, going back to Kinnock again, but like that bit where he talks about the miners' strike. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Like saying working class people, again, this was before he made the switch to ordinary people. Working class people were a million miles away from the striking miners. Fucking coward. Mm-hmm. Absolute craven dolt. Because, like, he even refuses to, like, acknowledge that, like, his so-called, like, decent working-class people who were horrified by the strikers, who numbered about 142,000 in a very significant industry, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he, f- even now, in 2021, refuses to acknowledge the fact that it was obvious that Thatcher was coming for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They weren't just coming for, like, all oh, the bad unions, the militant ones, the ones who keep striking. She was coming for everything. Mm. This is literally borne out by history within about 48 hours of the miners folding mm. in 1985. And he still refuses to admit that he presided over the ending of the trade union movement in England, and it was because of his actions in not supporting them. Yeah. Fucking like Scargill for whatever it's worth, whatever you think of him. He might have been outwitted by the state and been a bad strategist in that moment, but he was fucking right. Mm. He said it at the time. Like, they're coming for all of us. They're coming for like everything but the police union and the civil service union. Mm. They're going to crush you. And he, he was right. Mm. He was right. But roses. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, they keep they introduce Mandelson actually um, as like the third the third musketeer. They actually he use says that. It. He, says, he it. says that we he were like it. the third musketeer. He Blair... was talking about how much power he had. This is when he was unelected. This is where he literally had just moved over from television, mm. and they were talking about how much time he'd spent in the office talking with all of them, and like how integral he is. It's like you're just some guy. <laughs> yeah, but the, what's interesting as well is for such a integral part of. New Labour. Hmm. They talk about Brown's background. They talk about Blair's background. Not in great detail, but in... Don't talk about Madison's background mm-hmm. beyond he was a TV producer. Mm-hmm. Really, they don't, they don't go into that at all. Interesting, that. Mm-hmm. And that was the first inkling when, like, they refu- when after a while, I realised they weren't going to go back and explain Peter Mandelson. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of, like, a light bulb went on. It's like, ah, so you can tell... Which of the talking heads in this still see themselves as in the game mm-hmm. and which aren't? Yeah. Blair and Brown, fully out. They yeah. are done. They are finished. Yeah. Most of the new Labour figures on here um, are gone. They yeah. are retired. Um, there was Blunkett. There was Patricia Hewitt. Blunkett, Patricia Jack Hewitt. Jack Straw with his um, slightly longer the back. He had like a little mullet thing. His, reti- his retirement mullet. Yeah, I couldn't stop looking at it. I was like, what the hell? Um, what's was doing like, back there? <laughs> It's not a playground for the children. <laughs> um, and, you know, you get your Douglas Alexanders, mm-hmm. the Alistair Darlings, the like... Uh, I don't think Alistair Darling was on there. No, Alistair Darling was in it later, later episodes. He was. Um, and you get all of them. And then you get Alistair Campbell. And you get Peter Mandelson. Alistair Campbell is affecting that very relaxed, chuckling. Mm. Oh, I'm just, just observing all this chaos here, guys. Mm. Have you seen this? Mm. Oh, I remember when we were in power, and it's like that kind of dis- slightly disarming thing that he actually always used to do as well, but he's doing it less aggressively. But there's still an inkling that he's still briefing people yeah. and organising people, and Mandelson 100% is. I mean, I believe he's something to do with the Labour. Yeah. party now anyway yeah. but the the omission of any further exploration of the damage he might have done mm. is palpable in this mm-hmm. he resigned three times yeah within they the new labor he tenure resigned, he resigned once and then he was um, forced to resign a second time and it was unfair mm. and they make it very clear it was unfair yeah because um the hindu brothers the thing was a fuss about nothing yeah it's just like the fact that so there's no there's no point in going into this when the third man of the new labor project was forced to resign three times <laughs> nothing worth exploring there no. no okay fine um but yeah so this early episode is very much like talking down the labor party of i think basically just 1983 of just michael foot and saying, Mandelson's saying they didn't trust us on trade unions and defence and tax. And they keep saying, oh, we, we need to be modern. We need to be a modern party. Mm-hmm. And the amount that they use modern and the kind of terms that Tony Blair uses to decide, to like describe his early years in Labour is kind of a second strand of, in particular, Blair's personality mm-hmm. and like his ideology. So he's got the thing of believing in working class boys made good of social mobility, that Mm. kind of thing. The second one is that Blair seems to believe fully that history is only an impersonal force that pushes you along. Mm -hmm. And basically, like any alternatives, history ties your hand. Mm -hmm. He keeps talking about the modern world. We need to adapt to the modern world. We need to become modern. 
it's not my fault that, you know, I couldn't nationalise things because, alas, history tied my hands mm. and it wasn't an option. You know, if, my, if I had my choice, you know, I'd go for nationalisation all the time and labour policies. But the modern world, you see, it mm. just won't let us. <laughs> and it's, it's very much like an excuse any time he actually comes across a contradiction in the way that he thinks and the way that things turned out. Mm. He says, oh, history wouldn't let me. And especially as he becomes more messianic, as he, as he mm-hmm. becomes prime minister and goes on, he, it, there's more and more mention of these like unnamed forces that were forcing him to do these things. Mm. It's so the very thing interesting. Because this is the longest I've watched Blair in a long time. Mm, yeah. Like He talks about, in the much later episodes, about being quite emotionally restrained, that he's that kind of man, which is bollocks. Yeah. Because um, he does show emotion a lot in there, and it reminded me of like, he utilizes my, my emotion. Child- utilizes emotion me of my childhood. The most emo- the most common emotion that that man would ever show is you see it time and time again amongst all of that part of the Labour Party is irritation. It's a kind of annoyance like annoyance at it, being questioned. It's a kind of like there's they a... show footage of him being shouted at at one point, and he just looks annoyed. He had two modes. Like he had that kind of fake euphoria that is dragging us on to the future and that is what I believe. You know, that kind of yeah. like rhetorical thing, which is not a new thing in politics, of mm. course. That's like a fairly standard, like, speaky, speaking thing. But that spluttering indignation that verged on the moral mm-hmm. is... It wasn't just him either. That was every new Labour minister whenever they were mm. questioned. Well, I, I, and it fucking reminded me, of course, that... Uh, Rachel Reeves did it. Yeah. Um, when in the last episode we talked about in the last episode yeah. when she was presented with that, uh, do only women have a cervix question or yeah. whatever, however it was phrased, and she was like, "Well, I, I well," and but we, on her it came out because she had never really considered an answer, and she, uh, yeah. I genuinely think she hadn't thought about it in having those to terms, answer, having to answer, having that to answer that specific question in front of people in a sentence in front of people. Yeah, she's answered that question in private. In oh, guarantee. Really? No, you reckon? You guarantee, I guarantee. I, I don't know. I, I genuinely no, can't tell I, anyone. I, I would. I can say suspect. That I've got a heavy suspicion about on the views, on the views of an awful lot of those people yeah. on trans yeah. issues. Yeah, and they. The reason why she spluttered so much is she's used to answering that where she feels safe, and it's diff. And that question okay. she would answer differently in front of a camera. Huh. I am happy to say that. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't want to. She doesn't have the balls of um of Rosie Duffield to just be completely balls to the wall. There, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a there's a moment with some of them where you can see the calculation going. It's like, okay, how many people am I going to like get mad at me mm-hmm. given either side of this question? Mm-hmm. But in the new Labour form, yeah, because um, you could see that like, Rachel Reeves was deploying it as a tactical thing to block it mm-hmm. and to kind of emphasised the ridiculousness of the question and that she wasn't interested in answering it. Yeah. With New Labour, it was very much a, I can't believe you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Or of this of all times. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, I, and it's a fucking satirised in the thick of it. It's, mm. it's, it, they literally say, they turn the question, you know, they say turn the question round, play the big man. I can't remember the exact quote in mm. the thick of it, but they, it's well identified and he's still fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. He's still fucking doing it now. The thing I noticed about Blair as well was, He's still got some of... When he's talking in public or on an interview, he still um, has some of the old tics, but they're out of control. (laughs) He used to leave his mouth open sometimes when he was... As if he was pretending to elucidate a thought. Hmm. And now he just does that when he's staring at the camera. He's just baring his teeth at you. 
Yeah. I, that doesn't work on a podcast, but like he's got his <laughs> mouth open. He's not even baring his teeth. And he's not quite doing the Blair hands thing, mm. but he's moved beyond that. It's like he's internalised his hands and they're now metaphorically poking out of his face <laughs> every time he's trying to explain something. Yeah, so they talk about, uh, again, talking about like new like Labour having an image problem, Labour being too elderly and too macho. Mm-hmm. That comes out in the mind of strike that doesn't come out before because, I yeah. don't know, macho and like has a at least a frisson of vigor vigor about it and that doesn't strike me as like that strikes me again as two contradicting things there's a lot of contradictions in this that we'll get into it like a bit a bit later in the in the episode i think it's illustrated better but like there's definitely a problem and like they they alternate between this yeah we we were so we wanted to be really aggressive Mm. about like the country and about the tories and tell people what we stood up for but scargill and labor no they were just too macho Mm. and there was a quote from fucking mandelson one of my most hated things which was saying that well uh, i think gordon brown was more aggressively labor uh he saw the tories as battlefield adversaries what it's a fucking two-party system they are Mm -hmm. You can't win unless you beat them, mm-hmm. which is something that you said mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. New Labour needs to, we need to win power before we can put in our policies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's, that's what you said. Mm-hmm. You can't just adjust your, your things to everything that comes across so that you come across as the better person. Mm-hmm. That's what infuriated people about New Labour so much, that yeah. they would be authoritarian but then present themselves as the progressive choice. Yeah. They would be privatising everything in sight, but holding on to Labour traditions and actually doing the best for, for everybody. And mm. you could, they just tried to be everything to everybody. Mm. It's, it's infuriating. Very much about, like, very much a lot of stuff about how, yeah, you needed to win power before you were able to do anything. Um, a lot of that attitude that came up uh, around Corbyn's time about Labour... Being, it's it's Labour's fault that they don't win elections. Yeah, like power is waiting there for them, and mm-hmm. all they need to do is like assume the mantle, be worthy yeah. of the mantle. Not to mention that this is a country with a built-in Tory majority, mm-hmm. a very weird electoral system, very distorted electoral system, and Labour have had like, I think they've had like maybe ten ministries mm. in the whole history of the UK. Mm. All the rest have been Tories, so it's like. That assumption that actually Labour and the natural party of government is really fucking weird. There was It's just not true. The portrayal of the media in it was quite odd in that it was not true. Um the the, the media are like mm. almost like weather. Mm. That it that you know, nothing you can't they're not controlled, they're not they don't have a an objective, they just sort of blow about the place. Yeah. Which it's telling in a thing all about New Labour that the media isn't seen as a thing that was used. Yeah, there's very little. I believe there was one mention of Murdoch. Hmm. Like, literally one. And it's like, that was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And everybody now makes it a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So, again, the omission has to be for a reason. Yeah. Which is to say that, oh, no, it wasn't anything outside. It wasn't anything else. It was just Labour's fault. It was just the fact that we had control of the Labour Party and therefore we decided to win. Yeah. You know, not the fact that the Tories had become completely discredited Mm. over the last, what was it, by that point it was 18 years. Yeah. Um, The fact that they'd lost tons of women, conservative women voters as well. Yeah. um, Explicitly. And that 
they had lost all their trust on the economy. This, these were well-documented things. These are part of the standard story, but they're not considered enough to put into this interpretation oh, yeah. of the Labour Party. They never mentioned the um, the economy with regards to the uh, why Labour got in. Don't think they were. They didn't mention Black Monday. No, not at all. No. Uh, it was also just that like ninety two was a failure, mm. and it's like. Oh, I can't believe we didn't get in. It's like you did reduce it to like he had, I think, a majority. John Major had like a majority of six, mm. or it, it might have been maybe double digits, and then it reduced down to about six mm. through the course of that whole Parliament. And it's like you you did that, mm. <laughs> and also compare that to Cameron's hung Parliament, yeah. which is supposed to represent a complete failure of Brownism for whatever yeah. that is worth. But John Major like winning six seats is meant to be like oh he's nearly dead but not quite and it's yeah. it, the comparison between two very similar things when they're relying on the british political system and the electoral system as the bellwether of everything yeah it is everything mm-hmm. like doesn't matter if you got more votes doesn't matter that doesn't mean anything it's all about if you succeed in the political in the British political system, and then to disregard two very very similar results as if they have completely different meanings, is very fucking telling. When you see something in something as short as five hours, I know it felt mm. like a million mm-hmm. billion hours to you, mm-hmm. but in something as short as five hours, having those two things compared is is yeah no that that is not that's faulty reasoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was the usual kind of cliches about how they reformed the party after 1992. They went to America, saw Clinton get in. Um, you know, lots of old cliches about winning back the trust of the British people, which mm-hmm. is still used now. Brown talking about no more tax and spend, uh, which then in later episodes they proceed to talk about how clever they were about taxing and spending, Yeah, which is another absolutely bizarre element of the revisionism around New Labour, um, talking about winning elections from the centre ground, talking about like uh, Labour being not seen as tough on crime. Yeah. And, it's, and not exploring, again, only exploring that through the prism of what Labour were offering. Mm. Not exploring it through the fact that for about 20 years, every single paper had been saying, how dare you not brutalise this mugger. Yeah. And basically Labour simply not taking part in the kind of rhetorical arms race yeah. around law and order yeah until blair came in i mean like i looked up the 1983 just manifesto just before we uh before we started and like there's never very much in labor manifestos about about like law and order about more police but there wasn't in any manifesto until the kind of late 70s really Mm. that's when all of that talk started to ramp up and crime became this different conceptualized thing because it's like you can't make another law against murder Mm -hmm. you know you can't you can talk about i'll put more police on the streets and it they all do yeah but even that like supposedly like completely turning off man like turned off turn off manifesto is still has like oh yeah no we want uh police on the streets where they belong and we want them to integrate with their communities and you know crazy suicidal policies like community policing Yeah, and it's what comes out of that is very much like, that first episode is very much like, everything was bad and then we came to save it. Hmm. Without actually kind of remembering anything correctly or, you know, telling us that, telling us anything about the way that the country had changed because of Thatcher. Because that's, hmm. that's really the underlying story there. It's the idea that 
they mention the working class being um, more conservative, so, like socially conservative. Mm. Um, you know, maybe an element of truth to that. But also not mentioning the changes that the working class had undergone mm-hmm. during that time. They were still the same flat cap, bit of, bit of swilling, you know, greyhound racing people that they had been in their imaginations. Yeah. And not, you know, emphasising the immense damage that Thatcher did to the working class. Like mm. not, it wasn't just that they became more conservative or, you know, the rich one creamed off and the, the poorer like dropped away, either didn't vote or, I mean, died. Like, people died because of the deindustrialization of mm-hmm. the UK. Yeah. And they went away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you go into episode two of them kind of talking about the 97 election. Again, not really mentioning the Tories being absolutely fucking crippled. Well, they have um, the thing, they did the thing of the deal, the thing that's yeah. like one of those big things that I never, I've never given a fuck about. But I know that there was some people of a certain age really did because I'm pretty certain it was like it was designed specifically to make them feel more positive about Gordon Brown that that mm. idea of the deal and Tony Blair reneging on it that um oh, that yeah. you know he'd be leader for so two. so it was it was a came, came down so John's um who died John Smith now I, John I, Smith. I did want to mention that actually because my dad always talks really glowingly about John Smith like when he's yeah. trying when my dad's at his most left wing mm. he talks glowingly about John Smith and says like oh if he had been if he had lived mm. he would have been great I don't really know that much more about him but isn't he like a very like standard somewhat authoritarian labor figure yeah probably like I seem to remember that being the case but um so yeah he died and then it's like who's going to be leader should it be Gordon? Should it be Tony? And then the, they made a deal um, yeah. that one would run. So, they don't mention... It was known for years as the Granita Pact, based on the, I th- believe, Islington restaurant that it was signed in. But of course, in 2021, you can't <laughs> even suggest that New Labour was largely a metropolitan, middle-class-based uh, political movement. And so they didn't even call it the Granita Pact. Huh. They didn't mention that that's actually no, how it, it went down. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realise it was in a restaurant. There was a fucking something. play. I think there was even a TV series, there was a TV series. called The Pact. That is, yeah. yeah, it was based it was on the on deal, that whole yeah. thing. Or The Deal, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was like the first time I realised, and it's borne out through the entire series. Um, there's, Like we said before, there's like distinct omissions in it. They never mention Labour members. No. At all. Ever. 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 There's Ever. a bit towards the end when they seek to blame them. Yeah. For turning on Blair. Yes. They're very angry at that. Yeah. But yeah, but the Labour members don't exist. Yeah. I, I mean, there is, there is a kind of sense that when they talk about the working class, they just include or ordinary people winning back the trust. Labour members are not ordinary people and that ultimately they are sheep that need to be herded because mm-hmm. they were so traumatised by... 18 years out of power, that yeah. they would go along with it as long as they were successful. Yeah. Um, this is also the start of, like, speaking of Labour members, actually, and talking about both of their, Blair and Brown's relationship with the Labour movement, um, this is the start of another rhetorical device that they use in this show a lot, which is describing... So, Brown is boring but solid, mm-hmm. and Blair is flashy but shallow. Mm-hmm. Now except when they don't need them to be that. Yeah. When they need them to be the opposite way. That way, 
Tony is very deep and wants mm. like privatization at any costs. All of this ideology runs very deep. And then um, Gordon Brown is like, uh, his version of flashiness is he's rooted in the Labour movement. He was mm. such a good speaker and he was a really barnstorming, like passionate speaker. Mm. And it's like, well, uh, like reducing people to those archetypes is fucking stupid anyway. It's, yeah. it's, it's stupid shorthand. But in this, it's shorthand for whatever they want you to feel about mm. that character at mm. that moment. Mm. These aren't baked in personality characteristics. No. These are, yeah, guess what? Brown is really passionate about things he believes in. Mm. And Blair can be really, really like, short-sighted and boring when mm. he wants to be like it's it's that kind of thing yeah so episode two kind of starts with the you know winning the 97 election um a lot of kind of fake recollections of blair going oh i knew this would be the honeymoon period and it wouldn't mm. last and it's like that's that's not how i recollect it mm. there's also it's also less of a honeymoon period because the right-wing press like turned on him almost immediately yeah and started treating him like you know, Fox News treats a liberal. That's yeah. how they did it. That that it didn't change. It was no. exactly the same, despite yeah. all of the supposed work that they had gone into winning over the sun. It lasted. Yeah. I mean, did it last even a week? Probably not. I, I, I actually need to go back and have a look at uh, Sun headlines to see if that to see exactly when the first negative story yeah. happens because like that pact did not last very long. There's even a fucking really revealing moment with Mandelson when he's talking about Gordon Brown and the Euro. Because Gordon Brown was the big break on joining the Euro. Blair, for some reason, still well up for joining the Euro. Now, <laughs> as is Mandelson. And uh, he says this like line where it's like, oh yeah, we only uh, didn't join the Euro because Gordon Brown got at, got, got at by Eurosceptics within the Labour Party. And it's yeah. like, are you the same person who's supposedly so in tune with the tabloid press that you can tell them how... What would that... What would have happened... What in fact, like tabloid press, basically treated as treated it as a fait accompli that Britain, that Labour were going yeah. to force the Great British Public to join the Euro. Yeah. Despite the fact that it was never going to happen because Gordon Brown was absolutely opposed to it, he had those five tests. Yeah. And they were basically made to never be, hmm. never be like met. Yeah, it was like um like when my kid wanted a rabbit and I said that she could have a rabbit as soon as she kept the dogs the dogs and the cat's water bowl filled without being asked for a month. <laughs> and she still hasn't, at, and she's about to turn 21. <laughs> that rabbit told, is long dead. <laughs> I told her that, you know, if she gets a rabbit, like now, not living with us, I'm coming and I'm taking that rabbit, because she still has not earned that rabbit. <laughs> but yeah, that's, you know, that kind You've of You've got to lay down the law when you're a parent, you know. It's you really, do. You've really got to make sure that they know where they stand. Mm-hmm. Kids crave boundaries, like not killing rabbits. <laughs> um... So immediately they kind of talk a bit about domestic policy, but then they move Blair into the kind of international arena yeah. and emphasise his inexperience. I've forgotten how much he liked to be away from Britain. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, they all do. Yeah. Boris now. Boris Johnson now. Yeah, this country sucks. Exactly the same. Um, and, you know, when you're at the top of it, you can really see how shit it is. So he's like, oh, God, I'm turning to Spain. <laughs> but there was, um, there was a really weird moment that I had never heard of before. Yeah. I assume it's like... I assume it's um, it's just like the first time it's ever surfaced. But apparently there was some something where they were talking about uh, Blair was talking about not losing Britain shouldn't lose any more territory. Yeah, after in the, back in, Hong in Kong. the wake of Hong Kong, which happened in I think June of yeah. nineteen ninety seven, which was like it was already it was like maybe a month after the election and yeah. it was already all planned and everything. 
And it's like, yeah, we shouldn't lose any more territory. We're too... We're too small. We're too small. We're too small. The but fuck? it's like, we can't lose any more territory. Sounds megalomaniacal. It, it really does. That's... Yeah. What are you, do you think we should expand the territory? Like <laughs> yeah. I saw on Twitter the other day, move 20 million people to the Falklands <laughs> and build like a cyberpunk city. Um, so yeah, this was all to kind of introduce his first great, what's presented as his first great success, which is him saying, I'm going to solve Ireland. Yeah, literally like waking up and just saying it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know too much about the Good Friday uh, mm. negotiations. I've never really uh, like read up on it or anything. And I was, you know, reminded of Mo Molum and think of, huh? It's weird, isn't it? Mo Molum, Robin Cook, maybe not Claire Short. She's still there, but it's weird how all the left, really prominent, like even left-leaning uh, politicians, all died in office. It's <laughs> just really weird. Robin Cook, when he was up that mountain, about a year after he opposed the year or two after he after opposed he the Iraq War, he just had a weird heart attack and was assisted by a hiker who uh, said they would remain anonymous when questioned by the press and then when they were he was airlifted off the mountain within half an hour uh, was pronounced dead at hospital I just think that's really really weird sorry I, really got, I, I remembered Robin Cook and then I remembered that thing about his him passing away and it's like huh yeah weird that yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> Adam's crank moment <laughs> um yeah, reminded of just kind of him negotiating and it's all presented with the traditional English framing, British framing of the Northern Ireland conflict. Mm. And Blair even says at one point, I came away from that meeting thinking, wow, these guys really hate each other. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean these guys? They're your, they're British citizens. They're your guys. They also talk about it as if it... Um, oh yeah, there is that. There's That's There's really interesting. That, that um, In Northern Ireland, they are not... like. Even him, British Prime Minister in favour of Northern Ireland being British, doesn't think of them as British. No. It's, it's, the, it's the big problem. It's the, the idea that it's like, you've had your army there mm-hmm. for 30 years. Well, yeah, and also acting like um, he was act, act. There's a complete lack of, of like talking about history. The, the Northern mm-hmm. Ireland thing is like a 30-year thing rather mm. than it being a much longer thing, really. Yeah. And it's just that that whole thing of like, he even talks about, um, oh yeah, well of course we had to dismantle the security apparatus that had grown up over 30 years. It's like, yeah, you paid for it. Yeah. It's yours. That's why <laughs> you were responsible for dismantling it. You fucking psychopath. <laughs> um so yeah, that's obviously a big, a big success, and it's that beautiful thing. Like, can't believe I, ne- I never remember the full quote, but you know that mm. I feel the hand of history, mm-hmm. and it's like they even play the full quote, which is like, "This isn't a day for sound bites." I feel the hand of history is on our shoulders. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, I can't remember how fucking cringe you were, but people, people looked past it because they were so fucking happy that the yeah. Tories were gone. Yeah, genuinely, even like the there was the first Mandelson scandal in like. I think 98, within like a year of him being elected. Was That, that was like, um, like that was a, a loan a to buy loan a house. from Jeffrey, oh, I can't remember his name, it was the Lord Chancellor, Yeah. Um, to buy a house, and it was from before the election, and it was, yeah, one of those things. And it's very much like Blair talking about all oh, scandals. I just don't know how to deal with scandals. And it's like, you tell the truth. <laughs> Again, you're a psychopath. You tell the truth when someone does something bad. I don't think I, I need to tell you this. This is something, something people learn when they're four. 
Um, and yeah, there's a, again, they're going to Mandelson for a bit. Um, there's this whole thing around Mandelson, like, you can tell he's still in the game because he's, he's much, I think, calmer now. He's less, mm. he looks less frazzled because he's not got an official role. Mm. He only ever goes for, like, shadow roles to mm. kind of go into a cliched thing. He only ever plays the shit like the, pup, the, the, the puppeteer. And he plays that character whenever he's in front of camera. Mm. And it's like this idea that he's like, oh, damn, he knows the game so well. He is just the best liar. He's a fucking terrible liar. He really is. Every time he lies, he gets caught out. Yep. Immediately. <laughs> I say again, he had to resign three times in like... He wasn't brought back till 2007... Uh, uh, yeah, probably 2007, 2008. So within 10 years, he had to resign three times after being brought back. Um, and like, he, them saying like he's so good, it's like everything he's associated with turns to shit. Mm -hmm. Okay, New Labour, I will give you that one. That lasted yeah. for about an amount of time. Mm. But like, you know, people's vote. And I mean, even with New Labour, he's always associated with the worst aspects of it. So it's like... How dare you? The Dome is amazing. The Dome, perfect example. Immediately you think of the Dome, scandals, and people, and now people's vote. Yeah. All colossal failures. Mm. And yet he's like, he's... Just, People's vote wasn't a failure. Got he's just—he's just such a—he's just such a winner. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there—there there is that, of course, if that was your your thing. But it's just this—this this, he never ever get what gets what's coming to him. And also for a shadowy puppet master, people immediately pegged him for exactly what he was. Yeah. Everyone who you talk to and you mention Peter Mandelson immediately go, oh yeah, huge corrupt liar. It's like the camera turns to Peter Mandelson and his fingers are literally in a bunch of different people's pies. And it's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Where the hell did those pies even come from? <laughs> you brought them with you for a weird fool. Did you think this through? Um, and yeah, and like the tears that mm. appear in Blair's eyes when he, t that doesn't, Later, I will get to that later. That doesn't appear for certain other decisions he made during his political career. Mm -hmm. But the tears in his eyes and him saying, it's like it was with Alistair Campbell. People were always trying to grab him away from me. About Mandelson. Yeah. And it's like, what? Are you, yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, the only other thing I wanted to point out from that episode was, um, <laughs> we mentioned the tax and spend. And the first, the you know, no... no more continuation of Labour policy mm. of tax and spend. And the first thing Gordon Brown talks about when he's Chancellor is doing a windfall tax. Yeah. Which he did. Which he then spent. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're not, I mean, look, it, New Labour spent things in different ways. Yes. Worse ways. Yes. Much more expensive ways. But they don't really go into that until no. kind of later on. And you can assume that most of the money that was going into the as yet unreformed NHS from this windfall tax mm. was going into the NHS as it existed in 1996. Mm. So after the abolition of the internal market, but before proper, proper privatisation. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no mention... There's a lot of mention of kind of handling the press of Alistair Campbell. No mention of the... Like, again, very obvious control freakishness around the press. Mm -hmm. Alistair Campbell going around shouting at people, yeah. threatening journalists when oh, they wanted to They show Charlie Whelan threatening journalists. Or like, shout, they like do, being, yes. Like, pally shout, like, sort of... Like, Laddish. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't show Alistair Campbell doing that. No, never, because he's still in the game. Charlie mm -hmm. Whelan is retired, mm -hmm. and Alistair Campbell's still there. So mm -hmm. you might need to keep him on side. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it kind of continues on through um, episode three. Uh, they talk about trying to pin Blair down ideologically. I, I've, I've made an attempt at it. Like, I think it's, again, it's that working class boy, the uh, working class aspiration thing and the messianic religious, almost like religious worship of history and historical momentum. Um, also, there's a, a, a desire to turn most of the Middle East into glass. There is that. We will get onto that, I think. Yeah. There is that. That is a. That, I think that might just be the kind of historical momentum gone gone rampant, mm-hmm. really. Um, you know, it, you definitely get the sense that he is remembering how he felt, like Blair. Blair is remembering, as he goes through this, how he felt at each moment, but not quite. Um, like he's he's matching his emotional state mm-hmm. by episode three we're talking like two thousand like just before two thousand one mm. um it's full on egotistical him talking about oh i was I was the radical one in the government, I was becoming a radical in my own government because he was surrounded by like old labor figures, yeah, like Alan also Milburn like, yes <laughs> also acting like he didn't have much like that he was like out on his own there. Fighting the good fight, trying to trying to radicalize and make everything more progressive and nice, and it's like, oh, I was just, I'm just a, a country prime minister. <laughs> no, I'm just a poor country prime minister from yeah. Durham. Yeah, and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and also, like again, they instituted an absolutely iron a disciplinary regimen around their own mm. MPs. Oh, they meant they oh, turned out their MPs for every single yeah. fucking vote. Every single time. Also, they mentioned like um, only occasionally the size of their majorities because they have to be very careful with mentioning how big those majorities are because you've got to remember that the Tory majority now is the largest majority that the world has ever seen. Yeah, and it it's not close to their majority <laughs> when they were like in their first two um, yeah. governments. They explicitly and implicitly concentrated on Parliament mm. as their thing. That mm. was the. They came in saying, "Oh, it's no good if we don't get elected," yeah. and it's like they concentrated on on that entirely, mm. and if and passing legislation and, and doing that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, he was even saying in it that, that oh, by two thousand, I was just bored, <laughs> bored. Mm. I was bored of doing like basically he implicitly. This is where the kind of trust and reconciliation project with Brown kind of starts to come off the rails because he legitimately says like when he says I was the only radical he means Brown hmm. the only person who can stop a Prime Minister is the Chancellor yeah. which was what Brown did he owned to the Treasury properly yeah. in a way that very few Chancellors had done before well have done recently yeah. in that he had it and if if he didn't want the money going to that thing it wasn't going to go to that thing hmm. you know um yeah, and you get more stuff about kind of reiterating. Alan Milburn comes into it at this point, reiterating that you know a working class aspiration, and people have to realise, and you know that Tony, what Tony Blair was, that he could um, he could link up with the conservative working class and get yeah. them on side, the conservative ordinary people. Again, there's that like underlying thing that they all forget in that early period of them specifically courting the urban like yuppie middle class. Yeah. Cool Britannia, all that stuff, all the things that all of your favourite music journalists go on about <laughs> what was so great about New Labour yeah. was specifically that 97 to 2001 ministry. Mm. 
and it's completely gone here. They were only doing things for ordinary people. They weren't metropolitan focused. Mm. No mention of like, I don't know, cafe culture, mm -hmm. trying to reform all of those like old things. They weren't talking about the old things. They were talking about, oh, it's just because Blair was so good at being traditional. Yeah. And it's like, that's not fucking true. I was there. I remember. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, again, more of the tax and spend stuff about, like, oh, we're not going to tax and spend. However, every single moment we're going to remind you that we've put the biggest amount of money into the NHS that we ever have. Mm. That's, I thought that was specifically what you said you were losing trust on. Mm. Like, oh, people didn't want us to, didn't trust us with their money. We thought they'd spend it. And it's like, you are spending it. And mm. you, that was a positive, And people thought it was good. Mm. To the point that literally every government since, whenever they have a question about the NHS, they just say, we're putting the biggest amount of money in ever. Yeah. Oh, we're giving another eight billion. We're yeah. giving another eight billion. Like, yeah. it's every fucking time. Oh, that was the episode with um, where he did his speech at the um, WI, wasn't it? Yeah. That was that did make me giggle because I didn't know about that because yeah. obviously I was I, too busy. I, you know, I could say being cool and getting laid, but realistically, it was smoking weed and playing games. And getting laid. <laughs> getting laid. <laughs> yeah, that was that was very funny because they present that as the kind of first crack in the armor and. Mm. Uh, that he went time. to a room full of a million Tory women and they all they all hated him. Oh. In what world were they not going to do that? But that also shows how fucking stupid he is. Yeah, uh, there there was an element of like, oh, you know, I I thought I could win everything, mm. and it's it's again, you can't trust this staged hubris. They're trying mm -hmm. to because they're not staging success or failure anymore. What they're staging is a process. Yeah, they're they're putting on a play. They're putting on a cycle, an epic cycle. You have to be able to sit. That Blair is not prime minister anymore. Mm. Labour are not in power anymore. So they have to present it as a decline and fall. Mm -hmm. So they have to have little breaks on the hero's journey where they fail and they yeah. fall apart. So this is like them giving that. Not like I mean, they had the fuel protest, which is, to my recollection, the first time that people really started mm. getting mad about yeah. that and and you know foot and mouth and yeah. stuff like that. There's a great fucking quote um, when they're talking about kind of the way that they were spending money. Um, there was a there was Ed Balls who came up and said the most perfect phrase I've ever heard. We were the most redistributive government since 1945, and we had the charts to prove it. Fuck! Just sum up centrism for me, Alexa, <laughs> in the fewest words. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, but yeah, there's nothing about them, you know, baiting single mothers, talking about mm -hmm. satellite TVs, talking mm -hmm. about yobos. Nothing, they didn't mention Asbos. The bad, didn't mention Asbos at all. No. I mean, to be honest, that turn was a lot later when they really mm. hammered it. But they hammered single mothers early on. Mm -hmm. They fucking withdrew, you know, stuff from single mothers. Mm -hmm. This is never mentioned because, of course, they have to be progressive. Yeah. Because that's what this program's intended audience wants. Yeah. People who are watching this are people who may have switched to Lib Dem at some point and never voted Corbyn. You're talking people who used to buy Melody Maker. Yeah. A vanishingly small section of the urban middle class who mm -hmm. grew up in that time. That's why it's so nostalgic. That's why it's so, you know, rose-tinted. Mm -hmm. Unbelievably rose-tinted. And yeah, you start getting into kind of um, him talking about, oh, well, you know, if you can't govern for a decade, you can't transform society. So he's then talking about consistency. Mm -hmm. um, and 
Mandelson 100. Yeah, it's the second Mandelson crisis in 2000. He's been brought back <laughs> and he's back out again. Uh, he resigns this time. It was the Hinduja passport thing. Yeah. Which, um, and you know, he's still 100% not apologetic, hard mm-hmm. done, like slightly hard done by, slightly tearful that all of his hard work was undone by just such a specious thing. And it's like you associated with every... You've never seen a rich person you don't like. <laughs> you will do favours for any of them. That's literally what your reputation is is based on. The one that keeps getting you work. Yeah. So to turn around and say, oh, that's not what I was actually doing, is yeah. just everyone knows you're fibbing. So they start to kind of... They, they go up to... Episode 3 goes up to 2000, the 2001 election where they win a, another huge majority, 167 seats. Mm-hmm. And Blair talking about he's getting bored is a way of talking about how... A radical as well is a way of talking about I wanted to privatise things and Gordon Brown was stopping me. That's the basic dynamic of this, this whole thing. And there's a whole section on hospital privatisation where Blair says, Gordon felt it was too provocative. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm Ricky Gervais. Maybe, <laughs> what's wrong? Do I offend you with my rampant privatisation? <laughs> I'm just too outrageous. And of course that brings you on to like what actually buoyed up the economy in that period, which was, yeah, like Gordon Brown did keep a tight control over spending. I don't mm. know. I have never read like meta-economic theory or, or statistics on exactly how well he did manage the mm. economy. But to all intents and purposes, capital seemed to be flowing. Mm. In a meta sense, it was probably, hey, we stripped mine to the Soviet Union after the dissolution of that, that state. And, oh, by the way, China's just opened up and made production costs a fucking hell of a lot lower, Mm -hmm. stripping out your industry, but also selling you cheap goods back. So I think there's an element of capitalism in that form working, work quotes, working, as well as it could have, Mm -hmm. and that there was solid growth. So you could continue to be that person, that person who didn't have to think about appearing to be a spend, like a spendy, spendy person. Um. And again, there's a sense that Blair doesn't really know why things should be privatised. He doesn't have no. a real like commitment to it. It's just because that's what the forward momentum of history was. Yeah. If I want to keep moving, if I want to be radical and change things, I have to change it in this direction. Yeah. No other, you could have been very radical and naturalised the top 500 companies. But no, that was not moving forward in your conception of history. Yeah. So it never got done. Um, episode four made me absolutely furious. This is the Iraq episode. Yeah, it's um, it's a period of time that I don't like to dwell on. Just how angry it made me as a young man. I don't like, <laughs> and I yeah. fully felt. You know that, like um, like sometimes you'll smell something, or you'll mm. you'll be in a place and see something. Like I think the last time I me and you, like I had it properly, it was like. This was years ago. We'd gone back. We'd gone back to Rochester for Founders' Day to sit on the grass opposite oh, yeah. the cathedral to watch yeah. the kids going going into the cathedral on a Saturday to sing songs for that philanderer who founded our school. So we were there getting drunk, and it properly had like like whoosh, and I was back to being a teenager, fresh free from that school. And there must be a weed French Castle word. Gardens. Yeah, yeah, um, and I had that with this. But for pure, unadulterated rage. Yeah. This... 
It was one of those moments, like I was... It was the opposite of my first spliff. <laughs> so this was like, we were like 2019, maybe, when yeah. this was happening. And you, it was the first time I remember seeing what you described of the Koonsberg thing. Seeing a lie develop in real time. Mm-hmm. With the Afghanistan thing, Afghanistan invasion, it was like, there were other ways out of that. Like, that, I mean, actually, they even develop a new lie which is, oh, well, we asked the Taliban to give over Osama bin Laden. And they refused to. And that's, that's a fucking yeah. lie. They actually yeah. did offer to hand it over. But to be honest, anyone looking at it at that point knew that realistically that was never going to happen. They yeah. were only ever going to invade because they had to take their military industrial aggression out on somebody. Yeah. And that was going to be the only way. They had to have a war. Mm-hmm. They had to. Mm. And Afghanistan was there. But as... I believe it was Paul, no, it was it Paul Wolfowitz or Dick Cheney or one of them. Hmm. Not enough good targets hmm. in Afghanistan. So you then kind of move on to um, Iraq and seeing seeing those stop the war protests um, just, just brought me right back to how viscerally people in the Corbyn era hated the stop the war people. Hmm. Remembering yeah. how much, the, the, Im- the flashes that we got and the images in my mind of them seeing it mm-hmm. from their point of view, it's like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. You're bringing down this great man. <laughs> Th- there's, a, there's a visceral disgust mm-hmm. that I sort of like, I don't know, it's like emotional transference, not that I share that in <laughs> any way, the absolute opposite. Yeah. But you get that thing of like, they fucking hate that period so much. Yeah. They hate those people. Um. But yeah, you get into the kind of um, like all of the all of the early. It actually does mirror, as I remember it, the excuses for the war very very well, like mm. the timeline, because it starts with Saddam is like a dictator, and you know it's enlightened self interest for us to intervene in other countries when they threaten us, and then you know it kind of logically moved on from there. It's like, what do you mean threaten us? And it's like, oh, didn't you know Saddam <laughs> sponsored Al Qaeda? And everyone's like, no, he didn't. It's like, yeah, well, he could. <laughs> With what? Well, uh, I mean, if he, if he biological weapons, uh, nuclear weapons, does he have them? Yeah, yeah. Let me let me tell you all about all of these things. That it, it's just, yeah, no, this is really important. And it's yeah. like that. That it does roughly get that thought process out mm. quite well. I thought hearing the excuses, and so Blair has proper excuses for it. Every single thing, mm-hmm. like. Uh, oh, if we if we left America on its own, the consequences would be worse. How could they possibly be fucking worse? Was a million dead not enough, not enough for you? Mm-hmm. Was it really not enough? Everything that's happened, it's not enough. I don't expect... Look, at this point, I've seen Tony Blair a billion times over the past 13, making 14 years. Making rare interventions. Years, making rare interventions every single fucking month. And every time he gets asked about Iraq, and every time he says the fucking same thing, and he said the same thing then, he's still saying the same thing now. And sure, I didn't expect a, I didn't expect a, a like a, a mayor culpa. Mm. That's never ever going to happen. You've given that up. It's he's going to have to be forced. It, the lengths to which he defended every step of the that rhetorical thing, logical process that I went through a bit earlier, right? Every step, he defends those things to the letter. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if you'd seen the evidence that I'd seen. What evidence? The stuff that turned out to be fake. Oh, yeah, well, we did it with good intentions. Oh, and they it's said like, it wasn't you fake. Can't, 
No, he didn't say it wasn't fake. Alice Campbell said that. I think he, I can't remember exactly, okay, so I can't remember exactly what he said, mm. but he did said something like, uh, we never like, it's something like, we never willingly misled people. Yeah. Later on, he says, we never willingly misled people, which the implication there is you did mislead people, but not willingly. Mm. You can't accept that and then defend the fact that you saw the evidence mm-hmm. that was then fake, that you didn't willingly mislead people. You so obviously didn't care. Yeah. And you know, and you even say why. You, he said, oh, the most important thing is that we kept up the relationship with America. And then it's like, well, there is a cadre at the top of American society that has said for years we need a good war <laughs> to reinvigorate mm-hmm. American nationalism mm-hmm. and to secure our geopolitical interests in the face of rising threats. They specifically said that, and you tied yourself to it, but you're constantly trying to worm off. You want the credit for having done it, and none of the criticism for having done it. Mm-hmm. You can't do it and have not done it at the same time. You <laughs> fucking did it, you animal. He's a completely reprehensible piece of shit. Yeah. Absolutely. At least the others, like, a lot of the others who are involved in it have the kind of good grace to make poetic allusions. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember it was Jack Straw who said, well, as I went through the whole process, it was obvious that the gates of war were getting wider and the gates of peace were getting smaller and we could yeah. just not fit through those gates of peace. And it's like... Yeah, because they said no. Yeah. Because it was very, very obvious the second like weapons inspectors went in that you were not going that the US were going to go to war. They were not going to back down. Yeah. They wanted it so bad. They didn't even want it as their final thing. They wanted it as a stepping stone to invade Iran. Mm. But you know, um, one of the things that was really telling with this episode, um, which comes in to the end of why they made this show. Is Gordon Brown is barely in this episode. Hmm. He's in he's in hmm. all the episodes. He's in this one for maybe thirty seconds, yes. as if he he wasn't a part of the government at that point. Yeah, that the war is not his fault. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it, I don't know. He voted for it, so mm-hmm. he's as guilty as any bog standard Labour MP. He didn't leave the gov- leave the government. He didn't leave the government. Um, and disappear up a mountain. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, they're constantly, after they've made the decision and you get all the pictures of Blair going to Iraq in his shirt mm. sleeves and all that and thanking the troops, saying, this is historic, you'll be remembered for this. And he's mm. like, yeah, you're right, you will be. And, you know, all they're talking about, oh, it was, it, it was just so momentous. It had such huge consequences. And do you know what's missing from any of the explanation? Any mention of the actual fucking consequences? Mm-hmm. Because you literally destabilised the whole country, did the absolute opposite of what your supposed oh. intention was. Their explanation for why, um, for the destabilisation, the, how what happened afterwards was made me, oh, like, it's, it's not often now, but you do still get it from your Nick Cohen's of the tribal nature of the Arab. I, but it's been a while since I've seen that on the television. Yeah, I, I was getting myself... So I actually... Blair said, the, the mistake we made, and I paused, because it was like, okay, right. I know where this is going. Yeah. I've got a probably 70% chance of guessing where this is going, and I know where it's going. So I press play, and I feel myself getting hit up, because I know where it's going. Uh, the mistake we made was not of deceit or of organisation, and then pause, oh God, he's cut out the two main excuses, (laughs) right? Which is, we didn't lie, and oh, we did it, we just did it wrong. So that's the two main excuses, so he's ruled those out. 
So what's it going to be? And there's like, I know what's coming. It was a failure to understand that the Middle East is gripped by deep forces, especially of religious-based extremism. Once you remove the dictator, those forces erupt and make it extremely difficult to govern the aftermath. Those are his exact words. I had to get them down. So what? Like you were told at the time that all of the anti-war protesters were mm -hmm. saying, this will result in more terrorism. Mm -hmm. This is what you will do. Mm -hmm. You will cause more problems. Are you seriously telling me like he can just sit there and act smug and say like his thing is, well, we removed a dictator. How many of you done that? Of you, of you have done that? And then say in the next breath, say, well, a dictator was necessary to keep a cap on your unrestrained, savage, Arab, mud people rage. Yeah. Your half, these half devil children are just incapable of not shooting AKs up in the air at weddings. Mm -hmm. And then fucking it's footage of them. Fucking despicable. Absolutely yeah. despicable. Were, were your troops, you know, not capable of abusing people in prisons? Were they not capable of not shooting prisoner, unarmed prisoners in the fucking head? Were they not capable of, like, I don't know, were you not morally capable, once you were out of the space of a dictator, were you not morally capable of not transporting people to other countries specifically so that they could be tortured? Hmm. That was you. You did that. You scorched that country to the hmm. ground and... You should be fucking grateful that most people aren't going to see this fucking um, documentary mm. because it just reminded me. I'm, I'm willing to kind of like not harp on about Iraq or use it as like a device because mm. I think as much as it is relevant, it gets hoary and becomes a cliche and people turn off. I'm mm. willing to accept that that yeah. is a fact of life. But just coming back into it and just hearing him say that his legacy is not going to be determined by himself but by again by history mm. by blind forces mm. your legacy's already been determined mate this is everything you will be remembered for mm -hmm. and rightly fucking so mm -hmm. he's an absolute creature of a person mm. i've never been so i, I didn't think i could get this angry again <laughs> at, at this particular thing yeah but they're still fucking doing it they're still gonna that any sensible person would just fucking let it go mm -hmm. and say it's not relevant the most sensible people do do that. Yeah. No, not these fucking psychos. No. They have to keep bringing it up. Mm -hmm. So episode five um, is the kind of end of end of all that because it's the last episode. Yeah. Um, you have the election victory in two thousand five, which I think was a sixty something majority. Mm -hmm. There's no party workers cheering him as he goes into number ten because he's divorcing himself from the party like kind of literally he's he's this world figure now he's yeah. this messianic world yep. figure and he'll never have to be associated with the labor movement again yeah and they keep talking about how in this final couple of years this was blair at his most focused mm -hmm. this was him he's experienced he's confident he's able to do anything and it's like he has his, the blood of a nation on his hands he has literally murdered a million people there's nothing he feels he can't do. And, like, there is a, like... I know it's, like, just coming down from Iraq, because we can't talk mm. about that all episode, but his vision was foundation hospitals, private clinics, and charter schools. <laughs> that was that was it. That was yeah. him at the absolute top of his power. Mm -hmm. The private sector in every home. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. kind of... It's kind of, like, pathetic. Um, and they talk about, kind of, in a poor me way, about how, well... Labour members put up with him because uh, he won so much. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but then when he didn't win quite so much, even though it was a 60-something majority, uh, they started to, to go away. And you can even see it in the way that he's talking. 
in his conference speeches, he's talking past people again. Mm. He's not talking to a Labour conference, a Labour conference. <laughs> he's not talking to like anything close to Labour's coalition, which essentially is like public sector workers and like lefties who can stand it. Yeah. That's their that's part of their like coalition. So, so in a Labour conference speech you talk to NHS workers, public sector workers and, and, and that kind of thing. And he's just he's talking past them to this is you know, this is a government for everybody. And it's like they don't want to hear that because mm. everybody means the people who are fucking them over. Yeah. You know? You, he starts like appealing to the invisible majority. Mm. You know, he was always doing that, but this is definitely the like highest level of that. Um and yeah, it just occurred to me that yeah, that's of course, of course, that's why New Labour people got so salty because they have to like they thought they had settled that question of the Labour membership in 1997 mm-hmm. when they won, and mm-hmm. they were proved for all time to have answered that question. And the rise of Corbyn in 2015 sort of forces them to re-answer that question again. So every mm-hmm. time they say, "Oh, Labour's spending more time fighting themselves than they are fighting the Tories," and it's like it's because they're irritated because they misused the amount of time that they had mm-hmm. with a pliant Labour Party. Yeah. And now they're coming back and saying, well, why don't you just give me that again? Yeah. It's like, sorry, you have to re-answer this for a whole new generation. There's mm-hmm. a whole new generation of people here mm-hmm. who need an answer. Yeah. You know, fuck it. Like, brutalise them into submission. Like, make them quit. Have a party mm. of 10,000 10, millionaires. Like, fuck, like, it's, yeah. it's not fine. I hate it. Yeah. But you can do that if you want. But don't, Say these things and pretend like you don't have to do politics. That you yeah. can count on hundreds of thousands of people just turning out for you for no fucking reason. Mm. You know that a real like arrogance mm-hmm. there. Also, yeah, there was that notion of with Blair as he's talking to when he constantly talks about the people, the ordinary people who he was there to help, even if they weren't Labour voters, he was mm. there to help everyone. And it's like the implication is like the party can be wrong, the Tories are obviously wrong. My colleagues can be wrong, you know, they're behind in their ideas, they're mm. not matching up, but the country is never wrong. This invisible majority that I will always refer to whenever anyone questions my right to rule. And it's like, that's populism, isn't it? Mm. That's the thing that you're supposed to hate. Mm. I mean, it's also a fucking poisonous idea that I hate because yeah. it kind of constantly backs you into a corner of never being able to change anything. If the if the British electoral system is always the, the measure of success, and I'm saying this very saltily because of 2019, <laughs> but if it's always this highly undemocratic electoral system that determines winners and losers, how can you ever honestly talk about changing it? Because yeah. you've elevated it to this point mm. where the game is all there is. Yeah. If you don't play this game, you are a failure. If you try to change this game, you are a failure. And you can see the fact they didn't try and change the electoral system at all. No. You know? Um, and yeah, they go through the kind of Brown getting increasingly irritated by Blair refusing to stand down. He had already said he wouldn't last out a third term, but obviously Brown wants some amount of time as Prime Minister in order to run into a next election. Mm. Um, and something I had completely forgotten in 2006 when the pressure between the two is really rising. There was a fucking chicken coup mm. led by Tom Watson yeah, who resigned and then a load of other ministers resigned over the course of the day to try and get Blair to name a resignation date. Yeah. I had completely forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. They just did the same thing yeah. to Corbyn. Yeah. Wow. But remember when it happened with Corbyn it was, you know, that's never happened before. I mean, I think it probably marks the beginning of the breakdown. Like, as much as 
the opposition to Corbynism was ideologically motivated. I think there's something, especially in the way in the behaviour of Labour MPs right now under mm. Starmer, presumably a, a Labour leadership candidate who they kind of wanted, that kind of Labour leader. How this this kind of conflict between Brown and Blair marks the beginning of the breakdown in party discipline, mm. as much as anything, Tor- happening exactly the same way to the Tories, but they reined it in. Mm. And as much as it is an argument about electoralism and like the the efficacy of the Labour Party, there's also a crisis going on in the Labour Party that is unrelated to Corbyn. Mm. Party discipline is fully breaking down and it's completely necessary for this kind of electoral system. And how easily so many of the people interviewed in this show were just able to like shift out mm. and just go straight into NGO jobs and third sector jobs. Whereas I think maybe a previous generation would have, they would have just retired and I don't know, written political biographies like, yeah. like you you were supposed to. And then the next generation kind of learned from that. And there's mm. like, Oh no, we can just quit any time and we will still be absolutely fine. Yeah. I don't really believe anything. I'm not willing to sacrifice myself. <laughs> so I can just basically, if I don't want to do this job, I don't have to step down and look bad. I can just be really badly behaved. <laughs> And there's nothing they can do to me yeah. because my future isn't invested in this. And that is the fucking beginning of the, of the end of the MP system. Mm. Conservatives have just about reined it in. Mm. But I don't think it's too long before it comes back again. Mm. Like, as it was under Theresa May. Which mm. It happened to her as well. Yeah. And it's happening to Labour right now. It's, it's, I think that's going to be something you're going to have to look at mm. like in the future. Um, yeah, Brown kind of like... He, when he's talking about what he did in that chicken coop, there was always the the notion put around that he was like, like what was the word that Alistair Campbell used to put around? Because you mentioned it oh. earlier, like psychologically unstable is the that, kindest yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, um, that he was either a control freak or that he would lose his temper really easily. Yeah, or... and he was like d- depressed. I, 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 yeah, I and guess it's like and about, uh, the, what would like behavioral Brown mentioned, disorder. That Brown kind mentions of thing? it around that time. That around that time, that's like when he had one kid die and one kid diagnosed of. You see, that's a weird thing. I've never given. I know, like he had tragedy in his yeah. life, right? But there's a very interesting moment of when he wants to ask questions about people allied to him who he'd worked with really closely, mm-hmm. Tom Watson, etc., all resigning en masse in order to make him prime minister. That he brings out the fact mm-hmm. that it was a two. It was two years since his daughter had died and mm. the fact that his kid had been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And that that is his mm-hmm. excuse. And if you remember at the time, it was actually his son, the, the, the son, actually uh, bribed someone to tell them that his son had been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Mm. He wanted to keep it private and it was released in the, in the papers. Yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, maybe he was involved with personal stuff, but the ease to which he resorts to that, an absolutely... Pivotal moment no, in their I relationship. Meant, it's I meant. Um, Alistair Campbell talked about was, was he was briefing about him having mental problems when he was would obviously have been sad. Like in yeah. the time before, like I don't no no doubt in my mind that he was obviously part of the chicken coup. Yeah, because of course he was. But I don't. I also don't doubt that the man was sad when his kid died, and that Alistair Campbell yeah. decided to fucking. Like spread it about as if that makes him weak. This was Alistair a... Campbell, mental health advocate. Yeah, like who himself had had a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. several years before when he was an alcoholic. Mm. 
just oh, disgusting people. absolutely disgusting and it's so funny Blair is so, so butthurt about it so obviously he's like mm. me embarrassed by this never mm. I was fine <laughs> don't put amazing. that I wasn't fine and he gets as he's leaving parliament as, he, as he's leaving like number 10 and making all the speeches about him uh, resigning he gets the music swelling as he ends his speech that they've put into the documentary mm. and it's like this is exactly how you wanted to put it at the time but mm. You thought it would be too on the nose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they go into Brown then as leader. Yeah. Who ran unopposed. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. And became king. And became king. And, you know, you have all of the fallout. Everyone. I was wondering if they were going to talk about remembering how fucking popular mm-hmm. Gordon Brown's parliament was, like his government mm. was, in the first, like, I'd say year. Mm. Um, until he failed to do that election. He was like up 25 points in the polls yeah. or something, and he was going to announce an election, and then it shrunk down to like eight or something. Yeah. And he gave signs that he was going to do it, and then didn't, and Bottler Brown, and that's when all of the confidence went out of him, and the press the press turned on him, hmm. like within the year. Hmm. So that is kind of, that tells you how long that truce lasted with the hmm. tabloids. Um. And you know, there's all the stuff about him managing, saving the world with the financial crisis, and yeah, that flying that, to every single country. That little element of like, but I'm helping out the banking class. Why don't you thank me for it? <laughs> Why don't you go fuck yourself? There was like two choices there. It was either let the banking, or there were maybe three choices: let the banking sector collapse, mm-hmm. help the banking sector out, but severely regulate it, mm-hmm. or just help it out with no strings attached. <laughs> Guess which one they chose. <sighs> Um, and yeah, and Blair even being even more butthurt when he's talking about the financial crisis because he says um, he's always describing Brown as intellectual, mm. which to him I think is a sniffy way of kind of criticizing him yeah. of throwing a slur. And when he did like the two thousand ba- two thousand eight bank bailout, he said like it was an immense intellectual achievement, <laughs> intellectual and political achievement. And it's like oh yeah, no, it's not the hand of history on his shoulder or anything no. like that. It was just intellectual and political achievement. That politics stuff, oh, I've left that way behind me. Even in my final term, I wasn't really thinking about yeah, politics. I shed my mortal form and become a being of pure internationalism. Exactly, mm. exactly. Um, and then, of course, you end up with uh, Labour getting blamed for the £400 billion bank bailout. Not for bailing out the banks, but for overspending on welfare. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same narrative that they had in 1983. Mm-hmm. Exactly the fucking same. Yeah. It, all came back around. They believed like 100% that they would get uh, get the credit for bailing out the banks when everyone was getting their houses repossessed and mm. losing their jobs and councils, councils like services were getting cut. You know, didn't think to prop up jobs, mm-hmm. didn't think to, you know, bail out councils no. who actually provided services for people. No. Bail out the banks and they'll all be grateful. That's mm. just... Because that's ultimately all they... All they believe. They believe mm. that if you solve the problems, it's like trickle-down politicking. Yeah. They believed if you solve the problems at a high level, if you just did deals at a high level and just maintained control of Parliament, you didn't need anything else because everyone no. else was just an undifferentiated mass. Yeah. Everything, everything was locked down if you could just make sure that the money flowed to the right people. Mm-hmm. And there's just absolutely incredible. They do go out with he gets a sad ending 
that you know he gets a silent ending it was very well no they had like they did they did the um lazy Ricky Gervais um TV series of playing the sad music to try and make you feel an emotion mm. where you know he has all of his kids and he's walking down the street because he just wanted to show them that one moment that their dad had been prime minister it does a proper yeah Gordon Brown comes across better than Blair in this because he you does, can't yeah. talk about the new Labour government without mentioning Iraq and as soon as you mention Iraq you can't make Blair look like a hero despite what Blair thinks yeah so they do their thing of avoiding mentioning Brown so Brown comes off scot-free yeah and they talk about like how he saved the world it does a lot of reminding all of you old people who had your melody makers that do you remember that it was good it's it's very much like you don't miss New Labour. You miss the way you felt during New Labour. Mm-hmm. Your first pint, your first kiss. One hundred percent to the extent that there is an emotionality to this because mm. it's it's actually a fairly like dry, mm. like very like rose tinted political biography. Yeah. It doesn't stray too far from the kind of standard narrative. But yeah, definitely one hundred percent. I think the two things that you get about New Labour from this documentary overall is like you have those three words, modern, ordinary and history, hmm. right? They talk about modernisation being this like inevitable impetus and it's, it's like a fig leaf. Whenever you're asked questions about, well, what does it mean? Oh, no, we just had to be modern. Modernisation. This was the process. This is what we were committed to. This was our ideology. And, you know, they're mostly like retired political figures now. So I guess a kind of retreat into literary or poetic language is to be, is to be expected especially when they're describing history. But their relationship with the terms like ordinary at mm-hmm. the same time is so strange. Like their whole model of how you communicate a thing, because it's, it's trust. They constantly go on about trust. The British people didn't trust us. Mm-hmm. Ordinary people had to trust us. This way of, this model of how you communicate a thing to people and have it make sense and have people trust you is a something that the left are constantly hit with right now, especially yeah. like with Starmer in, you know, Starmer must regain trust. People don't trust socialism. Mm-hmm. People don't, you know, uh, ordinary people don't trust you. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong that people don't feel that way, right? But people and their views and their values, each individual person is shaped by what they come into contact with every day. Like that can cover like a wide range of different class, religious, workplace, and, you know, ultimately like media. Consumed mm. media is a huge part of that now rather than lived experience or mm. another kind of thing. Yeah, it's traditional social media, whatever. That contact with those things defines the boundary of what they expect, what is ex- or what they think everyone else expects. Mm. And even if you want to transgress those boundaries and try and move people, though you still have to look at those boundaries as something that need to be transgressed. You know, they're defined by the environment they're in. Now, that's always constantly weaponized against the left today by saying, you know, the real world isn't Twitter. And that's true. That is true. But it's also true of a plumber, of a nurse, of the prime minister, mm-hmm. of an opinion writer. Mm-hmm. All of those things are true, that these boundaries are set by what you come into contact with. And if people didn't believe Labour politicians back in the 80s, it was because day to day they had less and less contact with Labourist institutions, unions, workplace organising and the, all the infrastructure of post-war British socialism. And for all their talk of knowing what the ordinary people wanted, New Labour withdrew from those kind of institutional things harder than mm-hmm. any of the Labour parties before them if they, you know, if they wanted to not be associated with the unions. Um, they completely accepted the Thatcherite destruction of their own electoral base, their mm-hmm. own institutions, and did absolutely 
nothing to build any of their own and kept all of you know those other alternative avenues like the press movements they kept all of those things in the hands of their enemies whether it was the left or the right all that new labor had was parliament and it's thinking the same as the u.s democrats did if i hold on to the presidency which we know how to win now every time by appealing Mm -hmm. from the center we're golden as long as the state and the democratic functions are in our hands that's our base Mm -hmm. everybody is our base and as long when you lose it you have nothing what did New Labour do? Did they reinvigorate unions as a new base? No. Did they create a new mass base for their party? No. In fact, as I remember it, all they did was make people angry at them, mm-hmm. one at a time, each in turn, because of, you know, modernisation and history. <laughs> um, in cynical terms, did they engineer the electoral system to benefit them? No. In fact, they made it worse. Um, did they engineer or structure the state to create like a new class dependent on them? The people I can think of that benefited the motion of New Labour were like Capita, mm. KPMG, Deloitte. Yeah. Um, Serco, people like that and the idea that they're somehow loyal these Mm -hmm. billionaire donors even that they're loyal to the Labour Party after they opened up the public sector to them is fucking absolutely laughable they thought, they did all this because they thought they had Parliament under control in perpetuity and that's what the new Labour project was for from the start it was for winning Parliament, Mm -hmm. can't do anything unless you win power Mm -hmm. and they thought that was it, the proof that that's all they thought it was, because it's like what did they do that lasted House of Lords reform, which tied the power in the second chamber directly to the Prime Minister. If you're not Prime Minister, you don't have that power. Mm-hmm. What's the second thing? They did um, fucking devolution. Mm-hmm. You created opposing parliaments in places that you dominated. Again, you thought that if you dominated the body politic, the, the actual institution, mm-hmm. that you would win all the time. And they didn't. It all went away. It all eroded. Their methods for kind of They had so many methods for kind of getting legislation through that they forgot about actually winning elections that that is based on people. Hmm. They did like, they locked in a few dozen rich donors and as much as Mandelson thinks that rich people constitute the limits of anybody's reality, they can't help you if your enemies hold everything else. Hmm. They did limited institutional work and they courted the elite while neglecting all of those institutional like buttresses that surround elections which is just about the only thing in this fucking country that comes close to being decided by the whim of millions. Mm. If you're only courting the elite and you don't have any mass appeal, mm. you're going to lose elections and you're going to lose the uh, the thing that you based it on is the only thing that you can lose through almost no fault of your own, mm. just through the whims of other people. Thatcherism was the opposite. It it kind of embedded itself with this like fake mass appeal, which is you're the master of your, each individual family is the master of their own destiny. And they got, Thatcherism got right inside your soul. It Mm. got inside everybody's soul. Everybody, every entrepreneur, everybody who wants to do anything has to do an entrepreneurial thing now. That's Thatcherism. It embedded in Mm. every single action we take now, even Mm. now. And at the same time, Thatcherism kind of courted the elite and made the elite dependent on them. If you want to keep up this momentum, if you want to keep up this fucking grab bag, you have to vote for us. Mm. Whereas Labour just like, you, well, you're just another one who we can vote for, who can do that. And that's like New Labour's legacy. Like everything that they'd much rather not talk about, everything like how quickly everything like decent was swept away, how they went for the lowest possible minimum wage, how they introduced immense pressures on Muslim minorities and the carceral system and the prison system, a foreign policy where the military is the first 
port of call. That's everything they, they did. And the worst thing of all is that they developed this fucking class of people who developed this program and reviewed it, who will not stop going on about fucking new labour as like as if it's a vibe and mm. not a specific time with specific structural conditions that were around it, a specific set of circumstances, but instead was a feeling like they were young and they'd mm. fallen in love. That's New Labour's legacy. Um, that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Struggle Ruffian. Mm-hmm. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover said to cut my...